0: Hi everyone my name is Aster Philpott and welcome to Aster Vision. Today my guest is an incredible human being, sensitive, funny and loving. He's also an incredible cook, an incredible presenter and he can also dance really well. I'm so honoured to welcome John Waite. Thank you for joining me John.
1: Aster, you are such a sweet human being. That was a very, very touching
0: introduction. I mean every word. I mean, we. I first met you when um, we were on Stess Pack lunch together, and um, I, I knew of you before. But since then, you know, I've I've followed you avidly because you know it, it's rare that you, you know that. You're a conscious human being, and you you are sensitive, like in my intro. But it's it's rare that you come across someone just just that's pleasant in today's world. <laughs> and um, I just want to go back, really, to um how you started out and how how basically you came about to be a baker. I mean, a, a cook. You're interested in cooking because you know we we. We from a young age, or
1: yeah, I was, I mean, like many people, I used to bake with my mum. you know, there's often a kind of maternal or paternal or guardianship figure involved in people's baking experiences, and for me it was it was no different. there was nothing special about it. It was just the way that me and mum would spend our time together because growing up, I worked my mum had a fish and chip shop as well, so my parents ran a chippy. And then later on, mum ran the chip shop and then a farm as well. So I don't really remember much about mum outside of the farm, the chip shop and the kitchen. And for me, it was it kind of solidified that sense of love. You know, you can argue with your family, you can fall out. It's it's normal, isn't it, to do that? But what that moment, those moments in the kitchen taught me is that love with your mum is unconditional. And you can go from falling out and then go straight into the kitchen and crack on and be constructive. And so I I baked when I was a little boy and then I didn't bake again, really, until I was, I did a bit in high school. I dabbled, but that was when we did microwavable cakes in home economics in home ec. And I used to come home and make green and blue microwave cakes, which were awful. They, smelled, they made the house smell of sweet eggs, which is just gross. And they looked bloody awful in terms of the colour. So I kind of abandoned baking then. And I only really came back to it after I dropped out of university. And I was working in a call centre for cooperative insurance services in Manchester. I was amending car insurance policies. And I had to take a few days off because I, I got a bout of depression. And it really, really hit me hard. So I took a few days off and then I found the thing that I turned to, which I hadn't turned to for many, many years, was baking. And I had this frenzied kind of attack of baking and I baked like a rhubarb cake, a hummingbird cake, an angel cake. And they were all crap because mum had an agar in there because we lived on a farm. So she had this, this arga. and Mary Berry, I am not, I cannot bake in an arga, So it kind of... It went, only went upwards from that day, but that's when my love of baking kind of reintroduced itself. So it was when I was little, when I was in the early stages of high school, and then it came back full throttle when I was about, what, I'll have been maybe 19.
0: So did you did you almost find, because I know you mentioned depression, did you almost find solace in baking and almost a comfort in, in, in that?
1: Very much so. For me, baking was... It allowed me to take a very destructive mentality and turn it into a constructive output. And that's what I love about baking. You know, I think it was Winston Churchill who used to build walls and paint for his depression, to try and combat his depression. And for me, my way of being constructive was through food. But also, I think baking is a very sociable thing, even though it's intrinsically. Uh, a lonesome task because you know when whenever people bother you in the kitchen it's when you fall out but when you're making a batch of brownies or a batch of muffins or whatever it is you're making it's always a good idea to share them and i'd find that it would be a really great way of focusing my energy on myself for something creative and then taking that creativity and sharing it with people that i loved and it was always a great way of getting
0: out of that dark cloud you studied law didn't you for a while did you, you got a degree in law?
1: I did. I studied, so after I dropped out, because I went to, I got into Oxford. My pa- I wanted to do drama, uh, and I got a call back to Guildford Conservatoire to do perform, well, drama and musical theatre. But my parents were not in support of that vision. So I was very clever. I'm, a, I'm an academically clever lad as well, so I was never interested in academics. You know, I really didn't like it. I was always much more performing. But because I had... I was a straight A student. My parents, my, you know, none of my brothers and sisters had been to university. The only person who had been to university was my stepdad. And so my mum was very particularly keen on pushing me for Oxbridge. And I didn't want to go, but I didn't want to disappoint. You know, the weight of parental pressure is very, very heavy, isn't it? And, you know, of course, I saw the benefit of going to Oxford. I, I can't deny that it is a great institution and it could set you up for life, but I, my heart wasn't in it. So I went for six weeks, dropped out. Went again a year later, tried again, but then I'd met my boyfriend at the time and I knew that it wasn't for me, so I dropped out. So I went to University of Manchester in 2009 and I studied law and I studied law because I realised that it would be, I'm just going to close my mailbox down, sorry. I studied law because I kind of saw it as having a direction, uh, a destination rather, whereas Languages was a little bit airy fairy. Like I didn't know what I would go into with language skills, and I'm very grateful for my language skills because I still use them every now and again. But I didn't see a destination. But I saw law. I wanted to be either a human rights lawyer or a family lawyer because I wasn't bothered about corporate law or anything like that. I mean, we had to do it at university, but I was more interested in human rights and and um, and and uh, family law. But then Bakeoff came along in the final year of. Of university, so I was I was in the final year doing my final exams when I was in on Bake Off filming Bake Off, and I kind of managed to do both at the same time, and I graduated and won the Bake Off at the same time, which was, you know, people say, "Oh, how did you do that?" And I look back and I think, you know, with having been decayed by time, tequila, and trauma, I don't think I could do it now. But I was 23; I was young and sprightly full of zest and energy, and I think it just, I could do bake-off, I could do my law degree, and I could also get absolutely rat-assed on the dock on a Friday night, <laughs> all at the same time. I wish I had an ounce of that energy
0: now. <laughs> I've seen you with loads of energy, and uh, <laughs> I was looking i was looking yesterday on YouTube, there's a really funny clip of um, your cheeky bits with Lorraine, and I was just <laughs> absolutely howling, you know, because you you to me you know we're naughty sometimes on on steps, and I'll laugh at you sometimes, and like you you'll pick up on it, and I'm like, Oh God, should I've laughed at that, but you know it it you, you just you bring the humor as well, and I'm really interested because you have suffered with anxiety and depression, and I have as well, and uh, how do you deal with that now because we the world is um we're just when you switch on the television it's 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 dark isn't it and where yeah. whatever outlet we go to it's dark and for me i I have to find my own kind of i don't know comfort zones to kind of try and block out that because it's not really within my will but how do you deal with it you know because it it does it does encroach
1: it does encroach very much so and as you say you flick the news on and there's just doom and gloom and For me, I I found that giving up alcohol has been a huge, you know, I'm 63 days sober and giving up alcohol has been a massive change in my outlook. Of of course, I'm still anxious. I still get anxiety and I still have days where I don't feel like getting out of bed. But what I found is being sober now, that anxiety washes over me like a wave and it always did wash over me like a wave, but it used to drag me under and I'd be kicking and screaming. Whereas now it washes over me. It knocks me to the beach a little bit. But I dust myself off, I get up and I feel so much more, I don't wanna say strong because that would imply that depression and being dragged down is a weakness, but it makes me feel more fortified and more emboldened and more resilient. So alcohol, giving up alcohol for me is a huge, huge step. And you know what, I would say to anyone who suffers a mental downturn, it's hard to do and I'm not being preachy, but if you have depression or anxiety and you're still drinking alcohol, the first thing you should do is try giving up alcohol for a little while because it scientifically makes you emotionally dysregulated. It scientifically depresses you. It scientifically is, you know, can cause young onset dementia. It has such an Im- impact on your brain. And when I went sober, I didn't want to be this kind of preachy sober police. But actually, the more I read now with a fresh pair of eyes about the impact of alcohol physiologically and mentally, I think, bloody hellfire, why aren't the government doing more to warn people of the risks? Why are they not putting the price of alcohol? Why is it not solely regulated through government shops like it is in Canada? Because there's no safe amount of alcohol according to a lot of the research out there. But aside from the alcohol, I don't want this to turn into an alcohol, alcohol rant, aside from giving up alcohol, for me, it's just surrounding myself with the things that I love, people that I love, Going to the gym is a huge, important part of my life as well. Being able to be um, creative in many, many ways. And I also find that there are times when I just have to come off Instagram. Because Instagram is a source of comparison. It's a source of feeling inadequate. And you know it's a great platform. You know It's brilliant for my career. I get a lot of work through Instagram and I'm very, very grateful for it. But like anything, everything has to be treated with a bit of uh, moderation about it so I often try and protect myself in that way and sometimes you know am I allowed to swear on this podcast of course sometimes you have to just flick what I call the fuck it switch in life and you just think fuck it if it happens it happens if it doesn't it doesn't let's just crack on and keep going because there's no choice there's only one certainty in life and it's a morbid certainty so we won't delve into it but I think that morbidity, that you know, the, the ultimate fact of life, keeps me going sometimes.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say that because that morbidity and the fact that I have a disability keeps me driven every day. To be, I've been put on this planet like this, but hey, this is all I've got, and this is the one chance I've got, and I'm not going to waste it. But it's that, interesting.
1: That's what I admire about you so much is that you just always have a smile on your face you're consciously vulnerable as well. Like when you were chatting to Steph about meeting a partner, you know, you, you let yourself get emotional about that on live TV. And I think it's people like you who are consciously vulnerable, who say, I am a little bit different, but I'm going to have the same mindset as everybody else and flick my fucking switch. And that's that is something we can all share. We can all have that in common. Our experiences of life will never, ever be the same. Of course they won't, but we can all try and have the same mentality and also just look out for each other, you know?
0: Absolutely, yeah. It's I love the fuck it switch. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> if, uh, I'm gonna, it's, it's, it's interesting how you talk about alcohol because I think there was something in the news just recently that was it in Ireland they're going to start putting warnings on, on alcohol like they, they do with cigarettes here that it can cause cancer and ill health. What do you think to that? I think it's a
1: bloody... It's a long time to come in. It needs to be done. It needs to be done in this country too, because I only learned since my sobriety that alcohol is a group one carcinogen along with tobacco and asbestos. That is how deadly it can be. Wow. And, you know, I, I was a binge drinker. I would get absolutely rat ass at the weekend. I would sometimes drink for two days. I would go off, I'll go missing like my sister did. You know, me and my sister have started talking about it on our or in, on Instagram, I'd go I'd go, wake up in people's houses that I didn't even know. I'd put myself in very dangerous scenarios. And the only thing that was controlling that was alcohol. And who was in control of the alcohol? Me, what I put inside my body. Mm. So, you know, I just yeah. had to, I, I think it's so important that we are made aware. And that's not to say that everyone's going to get absolutely blottoed and wake up in a stranger's house and, you know, panic about where they are. That's not what I'm saying. But alcohol is indeed... The negatives for me, I think, outweigh the positives. And it's irrefutable and undeniable the damage that alcohol does. Even a single glass has an impact on your health. um, And I think it's high, it's high time the government made that quite clear through Photoshop warnings on bottles like they do with, alcohol, with uh, cigarettes.
0: How How is it socially for you now? Because the 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 whole social scene seems to me to be gravitated around alcohol, and you're almost you're almost um made to feel um like you 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 you're the dickhead in the group if yeah. you don't drink alcohol or oh look at him like you you know do you know what I mean? It's like it, there's that judgment there. How did have you had that?
1: Do you know what I'm very very lucky because my group of friends I've got two two groups of friends who um one of them is kind of I call them the Bolton lot and they they've been friends since way before Bake Off and they they were worried for me about my level of drinking so now that I've gone sober they're the ones saying oh don't drink don't even pick up that glass carry on even if you go on holiday don't have a drink because they know how fundamental and how you know and to have that support i consider myself a very very lucky guy and what I'll, what my what, what my sober adventure is doing for me is it's and an allowing me it's allowing me to make the bonds that i have with those people who love me so much stronger you know i want because i was tearing everything everything apart i was setting everything on fire i was burning burning every fucking bridge i'd ever built and now that i have sobriety in my life i'm rebuilding that and those friends are there they they were there to catch me when i fell and they still love and respect me and i'm so grateful for them the people who perhaps aren't as eager to spend time with me they don't exist to me anymore you know you've got to it's not just about cutting out toxic substances it's also about cutting out toxic people and what I've learned that people who you go out on a night out with and go oh I fucking love you mate you know I'll do anything for you let's have breakfast in the morning you wake up you don't ever speak to them until you're next drunk anyway and it allows you to differentiate between your friends and your drinking buddies friends will catch you when you fall drinking buddies will dance around you when you fall
0: you're absolutely right I love that yeah and I'm I'm really happy that your friends are so supportive. That's incredible, and that, to, that it takes a lot of willpower, doesn't it? And especially if if you if you were used to kind of like you say binge drinking a lot, and I think I think that's awesome. How how did you trans? So obviously you're you're a big TV personality now, and you got to how did you go from baking to dancing? Because you, I'll just tell my viewers this now, and if you haven't seen it bloody watch it. Um, John was on uh, Streetly Come Dancing, and I watched, you know, I I watched the build-up, and I watched you on every show, and the build-up to the final, but it was on the final. I was, I almost, like, had I think I've told you this, I think i told you soon after, I almost had, like, a transition in my life, like a mind switch of, like, when I saw you dance, with Johannes i was like oh my god like th- this is just beautiful mm. like like nothing i've ever ever seen before how how did you go from baking volovants to dancing so incredibly well <laughs> oh thank you asta thank
1: you um well I used to dance when I was younger. I used to do ballet because I, like I said, I wanted to be a performing arts superstar. I wanted to be a West End star, and I so I used to do dance and drama and singing. And then I kind of left it by the wayside, and I never really danced again. Then, since break Off until joining Pack Lunch in twenty twenty, and the at the end of well in the middle of lockdown when Pack Lunch started in the studio, I didn't ever envision that. Um, Strictly Come Dancing would come along, but for some reason the producer saw me. I think on packed lunch, and you know I think at this point I had sh- shaved, bleached blonde hair, and I'd, I was bodybuilding, so I was quite, I was really quite beefy, and, and you know it was hard to not notice. You were me. ripped. I don't mean that in an egotistical way, but you know if I was watching a screen, no, I was, big, I was massive, You were really wasn't it? So I think that got that caught the eye of them because they, they they gave me the code name when you when you joined Strictly. They have code names for everyone. And I was Hercules. So I think that was because I was a beefcake. Um, yeah, you can come in. Sorry, my boyfriend's just arrived home with the dog. So they, they saw me on, on, on packed lunch, I think. And then they wanted me to go and meet them. So I met them. I danced with Giovanni Panici for it like a little audition thing, a little test, dance test. And um, before I knew it, I was meeting Johannes and then in the studio on the first live Saturday night, so it all all came and went very quickly. I mean, it's nearly two years since I started the kind of beginnings of that that strictly process, and it's it's just gone so bloody quickly.
0: It's Just amazing, like I, for, again, you know, if you haven't seen, just just if you don't want to watch the whole thing, just just watch the final with John and Johannes, and it was just phenomenal. I was like. Vote, 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 and it was. It wasn't because you know I knew you, but it was just because it really, you know, it you touched me incredibly, oh. you know. And um, so what, what's, what's next for you, John? Because you know you're an incredibly sensitive soul, and how, what, what do you, what, what is your next kind of? I know you've got Steph's packed lunch, and you're doing bits and bats here and there, but what, what's next for you? Because well, you know, how, how do you? How do you pilot this soul through the the next phase of life, if it were?
1: Well, what I've realized is that this sensitive soul of mine, I think it's been quite heavily impacted by the ups and downs and the ebb and the flow of of the industry that I'm in. And I think what I want to do next is, well, I've just finished writing my memoir, which is called Dancing on Eggshells. So that'll be kind of like a, a, just a memoir about my life and how food's been heavily involved in that, but also talking about, you know, other things that have, have got to me and part of who I am. So I'll do that. Um, when, when that's been edited and resubmitted to my publisher, I think I'm going to have a good holiday because I need a bloody good holiday, maybe two, three weeks off. And then I don't know, I just I'm just gonna see where it takes me because I've learned that, you know, Strictly came out of the blue. I never planned for Strictly, I never asked to be on it, it just happened. And all the things that I've tried to plan for and ask for, they've either they've not failed, they just haven't materialised. So sometimes rather than trying to plant a perfect garden and, you know, prune it and water it, sometimes it's even more beautiful to walk through a meadow and see the wildflowers and just see what happens naturally. And I think that's my, my mantra for the next stage of my life is just to walk through the meadows and not the gardens and just to see where it takes me. I'll, I'll you know, I'll have ideas, I'll pitch ideas to production companies, but I won't let the stresses and the ebb of, and the flow of the industry Get to me like it did. And I think being sober will also give me the strength and the fortification to be able to deal with that. Because anyone in this industry, you know, ask anyone, Steph, ask Steph McGovern, she'll tell you she's had knockbacks, more knockbacks probably than you get success stories. And uh, for me, being too sensitive, uh, it kind of impacted my mental health. So I'm just going to see where it takes me. You know, I might open a bakery one day, I'm going to reopen my cookery school. Just just to enjoy a bit of freedom that I've worked for over the past 10 years, I think.
0: Yeah, you deserve it. I, I, like you, I, I think it's for me, I've dropped expectation because it's the biggest, I think it's one of the biggest ties of your, your life, really my life, especially that you know, I just, I just live in the moment and, and go with the flow as, as it were. And I know, People say dead fish go with the flow, but hey, <laughs> you know, if I'm that, then hey, I'm enjoying life. They so get it is, to the final you know.
1: destination quicker, don't they? I guess so. <laughs> they're ahead of the game in one respect, <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, John, thank you so much. Um, you, you're you're a lovely human being, and I hope, I hope I know you and still get to, you know been in touch with you for for a long long time will, because it's enriching isn't it when you when you meet someone like on the on, on on a conscious level it is and
1: i feel very lucky to have you in my life as well as so i'm sure we'll be friends for many many years to come unless you try and steal my job on step so. lunch, lunch <laughs> 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 then i'll come for you I'd never do that
0: <laughs> i'm joking i never do that you're uh... <laughs> I've never. Do. Yeah, I've seen you on step back lunge and you're ripped. So like, my chair can go fast, but yeah, that that never happened. I've seen you lift weights. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lots John. Love, I really mate. appreciate Lots of love it. To you.